What was the most encouraging thing from the Oklahoma Sooners win over WVU, West Virginia? And also we'll take a look at another university that the Oklahoma Sooners will play this coming Saturday in BYU on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live, our weekly live show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. The show is at Locked On Sooners. And Josh, as we continue to just kind of bask in the glow of the 59 to 20 win over West Virginia, let's just talk final takeaways. But first, let's start. What was the most encouraging thing that you saw from the win? So if I take most complete victory of the season out of the equation and drill down to something specific. Zero pass plays at or behind the line of scrimmage for Oklahoma. So whether it was the head coach, whether it was self-reflection, whether it was a tweet that struck home, I doubt it was that, but uh, whatever it was, Jeff Lebby, heard your criticism, saw his own failings, and uh, I think fixed it versus West Virginia. Now, is that here to stay? And I'm not even saying that you have to have zero passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. That could be an effective part of an offense, John. But uh, I think the predictability factor for Oklahoma, I, I think offensively they did a good job eliminating that this week. I thought they they called a much better game. So that was the most encouraging sign. It had gotten to a point where in the Oklahoma State game against Kansas and even to an extent against UCF, teams were starting to sit on that aspect of the offense. It was something that everybody knew was coming at some point, and it was going to be a good opportunity for a splash play behind the line of scrimmage. And your your blocking wasn't necessarily holding up in those situations. So it was it was a good adjustment. Wherever the adjustment came from, it was good to see them attack downfield a little bit more. I mean, Drake Stoops was phenomenal in the intermediate part of the of the field. He was great. Dylan Gabriel has been really, really good this year, zero to 20 or 10 to 20 yards down to the field. He's been really, really good. And, you know, we started seeing Austin Stogner involved a little bit more. I mean, we saw Nick Anderson, not just be go route Nick Anderson, but no, he was catching, you know, a lot of passes in the intermediate part of the field as well. So it was a really nice sign to see the Sooners, yeah, kind of not, quote, not completely eliminate that aspect. I'm sure we'll see it again, but for at least a week, kind of take it out of the playbook a little bit and be more aggressive in the passing game and attacking the sticks. There's, there's nothing more frustrating than watching a team play for third down, play for fourth down. Don't do that. Just if you're going to throw the ball, throw it to get first downs. And I said it on the, you know, the, the show on Monday that dropped early Monday morning, 18 of 
Dylan Gabriel's 23 completions either went for a first down or for a touchdown in the game. That is exactly what you want to see. You want to see him going after the first down marker. And if they're not getting the first down marker, at least getting closer so that you have second and short third and short. That makes that a lot more manageable to pick up as opposed to, okay, you throw a screen pass on first down and now it's second and eight. It's not as, it's not as easy of a manageable situation. Yeah. Sometimes they were able to break those and, and get a nice chunk play out of them. But as teams were kind of getting more and more on film with what the Sooners wanted to do, it wasn't becoming an, an encouraging part of the offense anymore. It was nice to see them attack down the field. I think that we've pretty clearly identified now and what you got two regular season games left. So you ought to know who Oklahoma is uh, by this point, but I think we honestly knew pretty early in the season, early in conference play that Oklahoma was a team. And in this game, they ran it obviously very effectively. And that's something else we want to touch on is Sawchuck in a moment. But uh, John, this team is best when they let Dylan Gabriel drop back and be Dylan Gabriel, right? Trust uh, trust those blockers in front. Monzi uh, jumps in and says three straight weeks with zero sacks. Now, I guess, is that offensively or defensively? I'm, I'm thinking he means defensively because the lone play from Jacob Sexton that stands out was a sack that he gave up. Uh, it was kind of one of those plays where he got just pushed a little bit too far upfield and the guy was able to duck back inside and, and take Dylan Gabriel down as he was stepping up into the pocket. So I, I think what Monzi means is from the pass rush. I don't think there was another sack this week, but that, and that's not to diminish what the offensive line has done. The offensive line has been really, really good. I think that's been a phenomenal part of this team and it's and the pass protection in particular has been a lot of what's carried this team where the running game was still trying to figure itself out for much of the year if we want to talk encouraging signs, the running game is figuring itself out over the last few weeks of the season, whether it was Toby Walker, you know, back against Kansas, or it was uh, Gavin Sawchuck the last two weeks, this offensive line is doing really well. They've been great in pass protect pass protection. If we want to talk something that's discouraging, it is. Yeah. The, the defensive front, the front seven, the blitz packages, the standard pass rush isn't generating those flash plays in the pass rush they're not creating sacks but they are being effective as a pass rush how many times do we see alan bowman have to throw the ball away because there was nothing else available downfield and it wasn't always okay i'm standing back here for four or five seconds now i'm going to throw the ball away it's drop back oh crap there's nothing there the pass rush is coming i'm rolling right i'm getting rid of it i mean it was quick decisions how often did we see garrett green throw an incomplete pass because the pass rush was in his face it's effective pressure. It may not be getting sacks. It may not be, you know, creating those sack fumble situations, but we're getting effective pressure on these quarterbacks. So while yes, we want to see the sacks, they are being effective, but again, encouraging the offensive line has played really, really good football all year long. And now for the stretch run, the running game is coming together and they're blocking really, really well in the running game. Well, and I was going to say, you know, even if you've, allowed a, a sack here or there Oklahoma played to its strengths in this game. And again, their strength is drop back pass protect. It's been their strength all season long and let, let Dylan Gabriel dissect down the field. Let Nick Anderson roam over the middle and come free, get it to Drake stoops. And they, they played to that versus West Virginia. So that was encouraging. Uh, Sachuk, obviously these, uh, these last couple of games has, has really started to uh, come together 
you know, even the Kansas game, he was pretty good. He just, that was the game that Tawi Walker took things over, John. And uh, it, you couldn't take the football away from Tawi Walker. You needed right. to, while he was healthy in that game, give him carries because he, he was the hot hand. But dating back to the UCF game, so coming out of the Texas game, 10 carries, 63 yards, the uh, the 30-yard score versus UCF late. Six carries, 19 yards, you know, not, not bad versus Kansas, didn't get a ton of work. 13 carries, buck 11 versus Oklahoma State, the one score, 22 buck 35 versus West Virginia. So absolutely the Gavin Sachuk that we thought we were going to get coming out of last year's Cheez-It Bowl, I do think has shown up here at the end of the season. So that's obviously nice for these final two games. That's encouraging in that respect. And then big picture, that's encouraging for Gavin Sachuk for Oklahoma's run game, not just this season, but beyond. I think it's important for the beyond part of this because you're going to have big question marks at running back going into next year if we hadn't seen what we've seen from Gavin Sachuk. Now, hopefully it continues this week against BYU, but so far so good for Gavin Sachuk. I mean, looking like the front runner to be the lead runner in 2024, but we'll see. I mean, you got to finish strong and you got to continue to put together good practices, good weeks, good games where you're proving that you are the guy that's capable of carrying the load at the running back position. Uh, further encouraging sign, we'll, we'll count this as kind of the last one before we move on or before the break, but the linebacker play. You know, Danny Stutzman being down, obviously that hurts. You never want to be out a potential All-American, someone who was at least a, in contention at times for the Butkus and, and things like that. You don't want to be down him, but encouraging stuff from Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Canick. It's a young group of, of linebackers that's continuing to grow. Another young name that's getting a lot of opportunities all of a sudden the last couple of weeks, Robert Spears Jennings, and he's showing up weekly as well. So encouraging signs from these guys that we can say they're Brent Venables guys. They might have been initially recruited by the previous staff, but they were brought on and kept on by this current staff, whether it's Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, Robert Spears, Jennings, Jaron Canick, the, we're starting to see Brent Venables guys really play big roles for the Sooners team. We'll talk more about that. And we'll talk more about BYU as we start getting ready for the week to Provo. And we'll look into Jimbo's firing and how that might impact Oklahoma, both in the transfer portal and in the 2024 recruiting cycle. And then we've yet to talk about Alexander Shield night as well. We'll do a lot of that on today's live show. Stick with us. We'll do more here after the break. We spend a lot of time talking together, you and I, along, well, John and myself, we get fired up together on wins and losses, who starts, who sits. I'm thankful for that connection that we all have together as Sooner fans. And today, I want our chat to be just a little bit more personal for a moment. Whether you're on extended travel, bracing for a major weather event, or limited by yet another supply shortage, you're covered, my friend. How are you covered? Well, that's thanks to our friends at Jace Medical, where they've got life-saving antibiotics and a long list of daily medications that can be ordered in a one-year supply. Even ED generics, Cialis, Viagra, others. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12-month supply on your daily medication. Remember to use our code that's locked on at checkout for a discount as well. If you or someone you love would uh, like to get some peace of mind, which you should, don't gamble on your health. Don't gamble on your loved one's health. If you or someone you love needs that peace of mind by having a year supply of any daily med, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use our promo code locked on for $20 off your purchase. Okay, Josh, any other kind of final takeaways or final encouraging signs that we got out of West Virginia before we turn the page and start looking at BYU a little bit? Well, I, 
I, I do think it's notable for Oklahoma that they found a way to play their most complete game. I, I know that that's maybe, okay, big picture and this or that, but to me, coming off back-to-back losses, we heard at the beginning of last week, Drake Stoops kind of stand up and then, oh, by the way, he goes and backs it up. But yeah. uh, let's let's just focus on the actual speech component of it for Drake Stoops, right? Meets with the media, says all the right th- things, hits all the right notes about we've got a lot to play for this team. I take pride in playing for Oklahoma, and we saw that from Oklahoma. So that that fabric, that uh, DNA, I don't want to say that last year's team quit. I mean, they had a, a number of close losses, right? But uh, at times last year when adversity struck, John, they really didn't answer the bell, and they certainly didn't respond really with a performance like this against a good team like that in West Virginia. So I look at it, I feel uh, confident. As we now start turning the page towards uh, BYU, I thought uh, defensively it was a great response after giving up the early score. And, uh, you know, a bunch of the items we've talked about, the run game was good. Dylan Gabriel was incredible in the game. And, again, the the most important part for me was the way the game was called offensively uh, was really good. And defensively, too. You know, there's going to be so much attention on the offensive side. But you touched on this, John. Take away the run game as best you could and force Garrett Green to try and escape the pocket and then be a passer. Oklahoma got that accomplished. And, oh, by the way, it led to a very ineffective passing day for uh, for him and, and Oklahoma rolls away in the thing. The offense, right? We, we complained. We complained. Okay, when are they going to, when the defense gives it stops, take control of the game? And we saw that. So, I don't know. There's a, a lot of it that uh, I thought were encouraging takeaways from this. Big picture. Yeah, I love the way that the defense played in after allowing that first, um, you know, that opening drive touchdown. You know, here's here's what West Virginia did after that initial eight play, 75 yard touchdown that took four minutes, three plays minus two yards punt, three plays minus one yard punt, four plays, three yards. This is after the Gavin Freeman muffed punt field goal attempt wide. Four plays, eight yards, turnover on downs. Three plays, five yards, punt. Eight plays, 74 yards, turnover on downs at the goal line. And then they had that you know final touchdown just before halftime, aided by a pass interference that 50-50. 50-50, it could get called either way. I mean, it could get called, it could not get called, but certainly not an egregious pass interference. But it it is what it is. But for, you know, pretty much the entirety of the first half, save the final four minutes or sorry, the first four minutes and the last what minute and a half of the half Oklahoma's defense dominated and it allowed the offense to go out and just run it up in the first half to where they had a 31 to 14 lead. Most another thing that's just incredibly encouraging about that is I I think back to the Texas Tech game last year, right? Oklahoma gets out to a huge lead against Texas Tech in that game, and the offense is rolling. The defense starts allowing a little bit of things to happen in the second quarter. They can't keep the Red Raiders from getting into the end zone. And then in the second half, it's more the same. The defense isn't able to slow things down. The offense isn't able to get things going. And ultimately, Texas Tech completed a a pretty impressive comeback and got the win in overtime, as opposed to this year where Man, Jeff Levy, Brent Venables, they kept the foot on the gas of this team. And Ted Roof, Ted Roof is the defensive coordinator. Let me not forget about him. They kept the foot on the gas, the assistant coaches, 
and they did not let this team let up one bit. I was wondering about that. I was wondering how are they going to come out in the second half with just it was just a 17 point lead. If they come out after the half and they don't score right away and West Virginia is able to score, it's a different ball game. But they continued the offensive onslaught, the defense slowed things down, didn't let West Virginia get comfortable in what they wanted to do, and it was all she wrote. And that was that was to me just as encouraging as anything is they kept their foot on the gas and they did not let a team back into it that was very capable of getting back into it. This was a West Virginia team that had averaged 37 points per game in their previous four coming into it, and Oklahoma held them to 20. It was a, a an offense that had the number seven rush offense. Oklahoma held them under their season average for rushing yards, What something they've done each of the last few weeks. So encouraging signs for the defense all in all. It's going to continue to get better and better as they continue to stack recruiting classes. They continue to add talent in the transfer portal, and they continue to develop the talent that's already here. It's going to keep getting better, which is awesome, awesome to think about. That was one of the nice things from this game. It just feels good when Oklahoma against a team that – not to be totally insulting to West Virginia fans because, you know, West Virginia has made a big-time improvement from where they've been really the last couple of years. Neil Brown, lest we forget, last year if they don't beat Oklahoma, he might not have – well, might not be the coach right now for yep. West Virginia, and that's kind of where they've been living for a little while. So it's not like West Virginia's been rolling in Ws the last couple of seasons. So it was nice to see Oklahoma – at home in a great environment, jump on somebody early, take one little punch here or there in response afterwards, and then race away again. Basically to just see Oklahoma look like the more talented team than a team that it was, in fact, more talented than. We've seen that a couple of times this season at home versus Iowa State, who has since turned into a pretty good team, and now you get the fingers crossed rooting for the clones this week, and then we've seen it against West Virginia this past week where Oklahoma has had an opportunity to embarrass somebody a little bit. And you want that as an Oklahoma fan, as somebody that watches this program and sees these recruiting classes come together, that that's the expectation is that Oklahoma is capable of doing this offensively, defensively in a place like OU against a team like that. And Oh, by the way, they did it on Saturday. So as much as uh, we ride the roller coaster at times in the past couple of weeks before it weren't great, Let's let's live in the moment and celebrate that Oklahoma did show some nice signs here moving forward. Got to stack them. Got to stack them with BYU this week, and then obviously TCU the following, and whatever happens else happens. But uh, this was a nice response start for Oklahoma. Yeah, it, it was, and it's encouraging to know that this was a, a team that was a big, big favorite going into the game. And a lot of us were kind of wondering, like, oh, wow, that's that's a pretty big point spread that Oklahoma's favored by. But they lived up to it, and they they just trounced a, a pretty solid and pretty well-coached West Virginia team. Maybe not quite there in the talent department, but Oklahoma did what it had to do and then some. I think even if they would have come away with a 40-20 to 20 win, we would have all come back from this thing looking, feeling really good about that. But to win by 29 points over a conference opponent, one that has a winning record this year, that's still pretty, pretty impressive. So Speaking of an opponent that Oklahoma is going to have a chance to do some good things against, you got BYU this week. You're going to go to Provo. Potentially weather might be a factor, but we'll talk about BYU. Get an early look at them coming up next. 
These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. That's why you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Just go to LinkedIn jobs, add your job and the purple hashtag hiring fame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. All right, Josh, the BYU Cougars are a team that looked pretty decent in the early part of the season. Uh, they, they, you know, played pretty tough against Utah, even though they got beat, they had, had started strong in big 12 play, uh, picking up, you know, wins over Cincinnati. They got the win over Arkansas, which all of a sudden that doesn't look so good. Okay. Maybe not Utah who played Utah Baylor played Utah. Excuse me. You know, they beat Arkansas, which, you know, with that three and zero start, we're looking at, okay, BYU, you're looking like a little something. Then you beat Cincinnati, you beat Texas tech and you're thinking, okay, this BYU team, maybe they got a little something going on, but then they lose 35 to six to Texas, 37, seven to West Virginia. And now 45 to 13, against Iowa state. Most recently, they're a team that just doesn't look like they do much of anything, uh, particularly well, uh, just from a statistical standpoint, they are the number 126th rushing offense, averaging just 90.5 rushing yards per game through the air. They rank number 87, averaging 209.5 rushing yard or sorry, passing yards per game. Against the pass, the BYU Cougars rank 77th, allowing 233 per game. And against the run, this team is worse. They're number 116, allowing 180 rushing yards per game. Most recently against Iowa State, they allowed a bunch of yards. Yet again, this is, again, not a good defense, but they allowed the Iowa State Cyclones to run for 209 yards and two touchdowns this past Saturday. So Oklahoma had a big time win, a big time statement against uh, B, against West Virginia. Now they have to follow that up and take advantage of a really, really bad team and do something equally as impressive as what they did this past weekend. Yeah, it gives Oklahoma a chance to have a convincing road win if Oklahoma takes care of the football and does what it's capable of doing. We'll see about Keaton Slovis. Do we know if he's going to play? He's missed the last couple of games. Uh, you know, not that he was setting the world on fire beforehand, but uh, I do think probably this is a better football team, a more dangerous offensive team when he's playing quarterback. Again, I don't know that it makes up uh, the 29 point difference against Texas, the 30 point difference against West Virginia or the 32 point difference against Iowa State. This is a team that, as you pointed out, John, is getting worse as the season goes along, not better and substantially worse as the season goes along again last couple of games that uh, coincides with Slovis not playing but uh, what the the last game that he played against Texas uh, was not a good performance uh, at all so I don't know I think it's uh, I think it's a team that Oklahoma should be able to go control this thing against and should be able to kind of go name their score particularly offensively on the road if you avoid what we saw the last two times Oklahoma got away from home 
at Kansas and at Oklahoma State where they just had the boneheaded turnovers here and there. Based on reports uh, from Monday, the the talk is if Keaton Slovis is healthy, he will start. There's just no telling if he's healthy yet. It's not sure, or Kalani Sataki is not sure if he's 100%. We'll talk with our guy, Jacob C. Hatch, from Locked On Cougars later in the week or Locked On BYU later in the week uh, to get more insight into that. But yeah, it just does not look like a really good football team right now, whether Slovis is in the game or not. They've got depth issues. They're a team that still has some building to do. As we're seeing with the the new four and the Big 12, they've got a ways to go. You know, even programs like Cincinnati and UCF that have been some of the better programs in the group of five over the last five, six, ten years, they've got room to grow still. And BYU is one of those that generally they play pretty well, but they, they're just not quite where they need to be just yet from a depth standpoint. So it, it's a team that, Again, they're not very good at stopping the run. You're figuring some things out in the run game. The elements could potentially be a factor. The last time I looked at the forecast, there was a good chance of, of some uh, some humidity or some, not humidity, some uh, precipitation. That's the word I'm looking for. Sorry, we need our, our man, uh, uh, weatherman Jay, on the show to give us the weather update. But uh, there's a chance that that could be a factor. And we know that Dylan Gabriel has struggled a little bit in the inclement weather situations if they go on the road and they're not able to protect the football, Josh, like you mentioned that the weather is, is an issue, then this could be a closer game that many people are expecting. And that, and that's going to be something to watch, you know, because this team has not been good um, on the, on the road necessarily. And they've not been good in inclement weather right now. Oklahoma is a 24 and a half point favorite over the Cougars, which to me seems like a lot. And how many, how many, 24 and a half. Well, I mean, I mean, BYU is not good and Oklahoma's looking pretty good, but on the road against a team you've never beat in a place where the weather could be an issue in a 10 a.m. Central time start. Uh, I, I guess it's a 11 a.m. Central time, 10 a.m. Local time start. It just has that 2021 Kansas vibe a little bit to it for me. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but it just feels weird right now. I would take Oklahoma and I would run with it. I think they're going to absolutely trash BYU. I don't. I don't think this game is going to be particularly close at all. And I, I, I hear what you're saying. And you know the recent road trips should concern me, but I just think BYU is that bad. And I, I do think Oklahoma, to some degree, played and lost on the road to a couple of good football teams. Not great in Kansas or Oklahoma state, but good football teams. And you mentioned it, the demarcation line between the teams that have been a part of this league and those that have joined Kansas is sort of the, the final Texas tech, Kansas, West Virginia are that final trio of teams that are four and three. And then after that, boom, the bottom drops out. You got TCU, you got Houston, you got Baylor who's terrible this year. And then you got BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, right? I mean, it's all the new teams that are in that group. Uh, so I don't know. I, I expect Oklahoma to go play very well in this game and to sort of name its number offensively and to get a bunch of stops along the way too. Yeah. I'm, I, I believe so too. I just, I don't know. There's the extenuating circumstances always have me a little bit leery of, especially it's such a big number if we're talking about the point spread, but if we're just talking about whether Oklahoma is going to win or not, I think they're going to win. And I think they do win at least by a couple touchdowns, if not much, much more than that, because I just think that they're, they found a groove. 
you know, we, we can go back to the Oklahoma state game and we can go back to the Kansas game, but Oklahoma state in particular, man, they gave three possessions away, you know, two on the botch snaps, one on the, the deep shot to Brennan Thompson. It, and it wasn't an offense that looked all that in sync for, for a lot of that game. And I think you don't turn the ball over three times and you win that game. You know, I feel pretty comfortable saying that it doesn't look like Oklahoma state was the best team on that field that day. Oklahoma just let them be the best team on that field that day. So I feel good about where Oklahoma's at, but all that matters, you just go win. You know, there's, there's no big, you know, formula for how to get to the big 12 title title game. I mean, yes, there's a lot of tiebreakers and all those things, but the most important thing for Oklahoma is just go win the football game. Got to win the next two, right? I mean, every, uh, I, I think every route for Oklahoma, that's a legitimate possibility involves winning at, you know, at BYU and, and versus TCU on Black Friday. So you, you don't get in unless you take care of business. Uh, you mentioned the weather, 52 degrees. This uh, via our good friends at weather.com. So this is your 10-day forecast here, okay? 52 degrees, Provo, Utah. Showers in the morning, cloudy in the afternoon. High 52, winds light and variable. Chance of rain, 30%. And uh, it, it'll be chilly at night, but obviously that uh, will not matter for Oklahoma and BYU. So there is that one out of three chance uh, for rain, which, you know, okay, uh, against a team that what is not great stopping the run. Yeah. And please, 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 Jeff Levy, I don't care if there's a chance for rain. Let your quarterback throw the football. Don't be scared to let your quarterback, who has played really, really good this year, throw the football. Should we get into a little bit of coaching carousel discussion, Josh? Because let's talk the Mississippi State job real quick, uh, because this one could have an Oklahoma impact in that, you know, uh, Ross Dellinger of SI mentioned Jeff Levy as a name that could potentially pop up in a head coaching search now that uh, Mississippi State's moved on from Zach Arnett. You've got uh, obviously Selman from Oklahoma going over to Mississippi State. He wants his own guy. So not shocking, and, and obviously Arnett was sort of left at the doorstep in, in the wake of, obviously, a tragedy at Mississippi State uh, with, with Mike Leach and everything. So, But it makes sense that now you get a little further down the road and the results have not been great, and uh, Zach Selman wants his own guy. And his own guy might just be Jeff Levy. It, it makes sense for a number of reasons. Has familiarity in the state. Uh, great offensive mind which probably, you know, for as many gripes as we have, he does come with that track record. And, oh, by the way, he's a proven great recruiter. I think one thing that most folks would agree on, even the staunchest of staunch detractors for Jeff Levy at times would admit he's going to bring talent with him. He's a great recruiter. So offensive talent, he'll bring that in. And, oh, by the way, again, he's familiar with the state of Mississippi because, well, he, he coached uh, at Ole Miss uh, with Lane. So all of those factors, the familiarity, it uh, it would make sense that he would be a legitimate uh, candidate. And he's not in that, you know, with, with respect, he's not in that upper, upper echelon of coaching candidates that, you know, like a Coach Kleiman, right, that has won a Big 12 championship at Kansas State or insert head coach with coaching experience. Lance Leipold, right? Like he's not on that list of coaches. He's on that list of talented assistants that will be the next set of coaches. So no, it wouldn't be a shocker at all. Yeah. And you know, for Mississippi state, that's kind of what you got to, got to go for, right? You got to go for the, 
this is going to be a bad example, but the Dave Aranda type, you know, where, uh, you know, a hot coordinator off of a, a good football team that has a proven track record of success. And you got to hope that they hit as a head coach with you uh, because you're not going to get the, you know, the Lincoln Riley's you're not going to get a Mario Cristobal or a Dan Lanning. That's just not where your program's at. You just got to hope that you can get something. And honestly, like they had with Mike Leach, honestly, probably the best way to go is to go with an offensive mind that can recruit a quarterback, recruit skill position players, hopefully build up an offensive line that allows you a shot at being somewhat competitive offensively, even if you can't quite get there defensively. Uh, you know, that's what they had when they had Dak Prescott back a few years ago. Their offense just clicked and it helped get them into the top five, got the win over Alabama. So an interesting, it'll just be part of an interesting discussion. Um, we'll see where that all kind of, you know, goes from here because there, you know, all of there's, there's so many extenuating circumstances when it comes to Jeff Levy. And we've seen some of that play out here in Norman. I wasn't, you know, there are times that, yes, I'm frustrated with the guy, but he's a good offensive coordinator. You know, he, he shut me up this week and I think he's going to continue to do that the rest of the season. But I think there's going to be a chance that he's in consideration for that job just because of the Oklahoma connection to Mississippi state. Now with, with Zach Selman, um, there's, there's a potential there. Now the other interesting coaching, uh, change Jimbo Fisher fired at Texas A&M. Now this one has a bit of an Oklahoma you know, tie-in in that, okay, from the transfer portal on the recruiting trail, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, they've kind of been at odds over the last few classes. You can go back you know, to the 2022 cycle um, with Labias uh, Overton, go back to 2023 you know, with David Hicks, and then you, know, you got the Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy one as well. Uh, so there's just – and then this – the 2024 cycle it's Dominic McKinley has and Terry Bussey have been the two that Oklahoma has been battling with the Aggies for now there's, I mean, there's a chance that like those things could become, you know, reinvigorated, reignited recruiting battles that Oklahoma might need to push again for. Well, sure. Coaching change uh, has happened and you've got a bunch of folks that Oklahoma was a finalist for. They, they were close to coming to Norman. So yeah, you, you obviously, you obviously toss the feelers out and hope, uh, hope something positive happens. If, uh, if any of those guys enter the transfer portal, then yeah, you pounce uh big time. I mean, obviously you gotta, you gotta, I, I think wait for that, right. Or the coaching change, anybody, uh, you know, free market jog my memory here. So I think new rules with a coaching change, players have 30 days to enter the portal, but from where we're at now, we're not far from the opening of the transfer portal for the, this off season. So it's like for the next, however many days, it's going to be a couple months. Really. A lot of those guys are going to have that ability to enter the portal. If they want to, you know, a guy like Hicks, uh, you know, Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, they haven't really played a whole lot for the Aggies. So they might want, to seek a new opportunity. A guy like Dominic McKinley, he might reconsider things now that Jimbo Fisher's out. Now the NIL packages, all that stuff that, you know, might've been part of what uh, these guys were, were leaning towards college station for. Again, not a bad thing if that's, if that was part of their recruitment and, and a big, part of it. but that all is probably still going to be on the table for them. It's just a matter of, okay, are they wanting to seek more opportunities for playing time? Um, we'll, we'll see. Well, and 
silly question that I asked about, you know, can they enter the, you know, portal straight away and what are the rules on it? Just because technically you're supposed to wait to contact anyone until they're in the portal. Right. And uh, I, I wouldn't imagine that Oklahoma would be skirting any rules in that regard or Oklahoma or anybody in college football would, would be doing any, any of that. But uh, yeah, I would imagine a name or two from Texas A&M. A couple of folks are talking about Arkansas. We, you know, we, we mentioned, uh, we mentioned Levy. There's pretty good chance that Pittman, right. Uh, will be out of a job. So that could be, a, that could be a spot where he winds up. You also have Haas at, uh, at Arkansas again, that Oklahoma was seriously a factor for. So and there's going that needs tight end help. Right. I mean, it, it's, it makes sense on a couple of levels there. So I would bet, I don't know that we're going to see six or seven guys from A&M and Arkansas all of a sudden, you know, transfer portal in there at Oklahoma next season. But I, I bet there's at least one name. Don't you think it'd be surprising if there wasn't, you know, because the relationships, especially with the defensive line guys that Todd Bates had been developing, you know, the connections like with guys like David Hicks and Brownlow Dindy, like they, they have Oklahoma ties and connections. It's not just, you know, they're good players that Oklahoma was, rec- was recruiting, uh, you know, with Brown, I think he's a, you know, a legacy and, and he, Hicks even might be a legacy too, if I remember right. Um, it's been so long since that recruitment, but there's, there's more to it than just the, you know, the, the relationships with Todd Bates uh, with Bussy. I mean, there's, I don't know, there, there's an interesting opportunity there because yet yeah, you're loaded at the wide receiver position right now, but he was heavily considering Oklahoma. If you, if all the recruiting analysts are to be believed, Oklahoma was right in the thick of it. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to rule anything out with this recruiting, this staff and the way that they recruit anything's on the table. Will that happen? Will flips happen? Will, you know, will guys enter the transfer portal? I don't know. You know, you can't ever bank on any of that, but I wouldn't rule any of it out. You know, I'm not going to sit here and like get you all gassed up and say, yeah, they're going to get these guys and this guy and this guy and that guy. But I'm just going to say anything's a possibility when a dude gets fired, the transfer portal exists and we haven't reached signing day yet. Anything's a possibility. And especially with this coaching staff and the way that they recruit. No, it's uh, it's kind of interesting to think about. And and who knows? I mean, it would be those couple of uh, jobs that would make the the most sense where players might leave and, and come here to Oklahoma. But, you know, it's going to be interesting in, in general to follow the coaching carousel just across college football because uh, obviously uh, Oklahoma, I think, is an attractive place for a lot of kids to come play. So if there's a change anywhere. In some places maybe where there's not a change, somebody uh, might, might want to come to Oklahoma. Look at what OU did uh, landing at Desan Bacola this, uh, this past cycle, right, where, you know, obviously you, you, you did have – Tom Allen, not necessarily things going great, but I, I don't think uh, that's why, obviously, uh, he relocated. It was just the opportunity to come play at OU and leave a school like that to come here. So we've we've said it a, a bunch of times that for Oklahoma, the lifeblood is going to be, again, this, this recruiting class that looks great in 24 and, and the one that looked great before that in 23 and in 22. And then obviously, as we are about to talk and we'll talk about and project forward in 25 – the lifeblood's going to be there, but you don't turn away good talent, right? If it's proven talent out of the transfer portal. So that uh, obviously will be interesting to follow. And I would imagine, like, what would you put the number at for Oklahoma this offseason? 
assuming there's not this mass exodus from Oklahoma, I'm, I'm sure there'll be six, seven, eight names, right? The transfer out from OU just because that's college football nowadays. So what do we think comes in via the transfer portal? What's a reasonable number? I, I tend to think it's going to be a little bit lower than what we might expect. You know, I, I I'm with you. I don't think they want to make, you know, the transfer portal there end all be all, but I, I do think that they will pick shots. You know, when guys like Jacob Lacey or Desan McCullough, you know, into the portal guys that they had relationships with when they were recruiting for Clemson, I think it's going to, they'll, again, they'll find guys that, that are going to be fits. So I'm just going through real quick to see how many they brought in in this past cycle. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 players. They're not going to bring in 17 players each offseason in the transfer portal. I think, you know, Jimmy right here, Jimmy Satterfield, eight to 10. I think that's probably about right. You know, they're taking a 20, they got 28 guys committed to their recruiting class right now. And I think they're not necessarily done. But I think they will try to use the recruiting classes to be the lifeblood of the team, like you mentioned, and then they pick their shots with the transfer portal. When it comes to, you know, if you can add a Dejon Terry or a Jacob Lacey or a Dasan McCullough, guys that fit particular needs for this team. And, you know, interior defensive line was a big need for this team. And we've seen the impact that Dejon Terry has made. Uh, you know, having somebody, I mean, you never turn away a dude with, Desan McCullough's athleticism and talent. So I think they'll, you know, the eight to 10 feels about right. Um, could be a little bit fewer, could be a little bit more depending on each year, but I feel like 10 plus or minus two or three kind of feels right about what this team will do in the transfer portal. Man, you uh, <laughs> mentioned it 28 commits in the 24 class and we'll see, right. Going to try and add a couple more there. They've already, John, already have eight commits in the 25 class. And uh, you can see it if you're watching along with us on YouTube. And uh, if you're listening along every single day to Locked On Sooners, we appreciate you. You are a member of the Everyday Club. We love you out there. But if you're watching along, you see uh, 2025 commitment. Who is it? Well, that would be Alexander Shield Knight out of Wagner, Oklahoma. 6'2", 2'20", what he's listed on 24-7 Sports. Chooses OU over offers from Arkansas, Houston, KU, Oklahoma State, among others. Three-star talent right now per 24-7 Sports out of Wagner, Oklahoma. So this program, John, just continues to clean up in the Sooner State. And a very interesting prospect. You know, it's going to be hard to tell you know, what he's got to offer because of the level of competition that he plays against playing for Wagner. But what you see is a guy that's got a really high motor, someone who's very athletic and a player that feels a lot like the Taylor Wayne uh, commitment for the 2023 cycle a year ago, someone and now we're way early in the 2025 cycle, but you know, somebody that may be flying a little bit under the radar, but has tools that Brent Venables and Miguel Chavis believe they can develop. You know, he's already got really good size as a junior in high school. And again, good skill, good technique, good physicality, good motor, good effort, you know, and he's a physical player and, and a very athletic player. He also plays tight end for Wagner. So a very intriguing prospect that I think 
is going to continue to rise the recruiting rankings as more teams or more uh, recruiting analysts get their eyes on him. If he gets to get out to any camps and things like that, you'll probably see his stock rise a little bit more, but it's just another sign of what Oklahoma is doing, identifying talent in the state that they believe that they can develop into being big time players for them. An athlete. I'm yeah. looking here, uh, plays basketball, runs track, ran a 12, one, six, 100, a 20, a 24.23, uh, 200 as a sophomore. So he'll get bigger. He'll get faster, all those things, but he's a multi-sport athlete. Again, not that that's uncommon, but I think that that's something that Oklahoma seems to like guys uh, that stay busy and are athletic enough to play basketball. We've seen the basketball commits a lot of them here uh, in this 25 class already 83 tackles, 21 tackles for loss, 12 sacks, two forced fumbles his sophomore season. And I, I don't have a look at uh, his current uh, what junior season numbers, but uh, big time talent. And uh, I love again, Oklahoma just making a priority on the state of Oklahoma early in this class. They are really, John riding the momentum that they have in state and these relationships that they built in state. And uh, I think the days of just continuing to pick on, pick on punch down on the previous staff, those days have kind of come and passed. Right. But one thing I do like about this staff is they, they prioritize the state of Oklahoma more. They do. Yep. Six of their eight commitments in the 2025 cycle are from the state of Oklahoma. And I would not be surprised to see that number grow. You know, they're, they're very much in the mix for Tristan Haynes out of Carl Albert. So expect them to continue to add more Oklahoma guys. And then this class will continue to sprawl as it has down into Texas, the Florida area and across the country as they've made national recruiting and a, a major priority, but it's also good to see them get the best talent in the state of Oklahoma. Josh, should we cycle through some of the comments, questions on the, uh, the, the YouTube chat? Let's do, uh, let's do just that. And then we'll, we'll call it a night here, a victorious, uh, week to do locked on Sooners live. It just feels better. Don't it? After a nice win. Uh, we don't have a drop off by second stream linebackers. That's from chicken. fifteen fifteen. Love it. And you know, that position group in particular, is a reason why it's important to have patience because Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Canick, Kip Lewis, all true freshmen a year ago, Jaron Canick was the only one of those that got really any significant playing time. We saw a little bit of Kip Lewis at times, but not very much. We didn't see much of Kobe McKenzie at all, but we're starting to see those guys become big time role players for this team. Jaron Canick, he'd become a starter through his work in the off season. Kip Lewis, he now has become a starter because of his work during the season. That doesn't at all, you know, have anything to do with what Jaron Canick's not been able to do. He's still a developing player, somebody who's got a got room to grow, and he's got the athleticism and the skill and the talent to be able to continue to grow into what Brent Venables sees in him. Uh, but it's also great to see Kip Lewis earning the opportunity to be on the field, Kobe McKenzie earning the opportunity to be on the field. That's what you want to see. You want to see your young guys go from year one, not really playing much at all to year two, becoming becoming significant parts of the defense. Love it. You absolutely love it. I mean, we're not even seeing a guy like Connor near who was a big time player at Ferris state was brought in as kind of linebacker insurance. So to speak, we haven't really seen him much this year because your young linebacker depth has stepped their games up. Yeah. They're just more talented. 
right? I mean, he, he's a great, uh, I'm sure, vocal leader, and it'd be interesting to hear what he's brought to that linebacker room. I'm sure that those guys would have a lot of nice things to say about him. And he was he was a national champion, right, mm-hmm. at uh, at Ferris State and did a bunch of bunch of nice things, had all sorts of tackles. But at a place like Oklahoma with this sort of linebacking talent, you, you're you're a nice, experienced voice, and uh, that's probably not altogether insulting because you know the guys that you're running around with in that group. Steven uh, says, oh, you played a complete game. Yes, this uh, this was my, uh, you know, big takeaway to start was Oklahoma, you know, save for the first drive of the game, it was really start to finish dominance for the most part for Oklahoma. And I go back to what we were talking about with BYU. Okay, the inclement weather and okay, yes, maybe that's going to be a factor this week. The number, early number we said was 24 and a half, I believe, or thereabouts. I want to see Oklahoma zip past that because you know what? Really good teams spank really bad teams like this BYU team. And not that West Virginia was a really bad team. That's a pretty good West Virginia team. But to me, I, I said this last week coming off the back-to-back losses, John, that for this team for and for the season, for us to leave it and feel pretty good about it, Oklahoma needed to win out, right? I mean, that's the obvious. They had to win each of these final three games finish with double-figure wins. It wasn't going to solve everything. wasn't going to suddenly make people feel good about the KU or Oklahoma State losses, but that would be tangible progress from six and seven, just from a win-loss perspective. But even greater than that would be you go win those three games, John, and you do it in the fashion that you did versus West Virginia. I think you've got a chance to do that versus both BYU and TCU, and frankly, I expect it. I'm not totally greedy enough to – uh, disrespect the dub if you can go get it john if you can just win these next two games and all of a sudden somehow you find a way to get into the big 12 championship look i'll be uh i'll be happy 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 but if you're talking you know long term the health of this program what happens next if ou dominates these next two games that to me we kind of need to see it yeah i agree with that and and i think the schedule provides a great opportunity to finish the season strong and continue to develop what you're trying to develop and build toward that first season in the SEC. So I'm excited for what they're going to be able to accomplish these next couple of weeks. And one of those things is Gavin Sawchuk. And Dominic says, I expect Sawchuk to be nothing short of excellent from here on. And the way he's running with patience and burst and explosiveness. Yeah. What there's nothing else to be, but excited about what Gavin Sawchuk has done. Now you hope the injury you know, things are behind him and and he's able to stay healthy. And that's going to be a big part of it for any player really, you know, continue to develop is you got to stay healthy, but so far so good for Sachuk. Now that he's getting significant run with the first team offense, he's contributing and and he's showing out. It's been great to see. We we were waiting on it early in the season. Uh, It doesn't look like uh, health has allowed that opportunity for Javante Barnes here in 2023. And for a long period of time, it looked like maybe it wasn't going to allow it for Gavin Sawchuk either. But uh, he's found it here late in the season. And uh, obviously for Oklahoma, as you think about, okay, what what does the future look like in the backfield? You need somebody to be excited about heading into the SEC. And I think we, we well, you're going to have that coming in, right? And Taylor Tatum <laughs> for a lot of people. But it's nice to have proven goods to be excited about in Gavin Sawchuk. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Some other things to get in here. Dominic asks, 
Does DG still have a shot at the Heisman? I'm going to say not really uh, based on what Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels have done. If Jaden Daniels wasn't on a three loss team, he'd be the Heisman winner. In my opinion, just the things that he's doing down at LSU have been remarkable. I mean, this past week he had more than 300 yards passing more than 200 yards rushing and a whole bunch of touchdowns. I saw an ESPN piece where they give out the Heisman each week, basically. And in the piece, Dylan Gabriel wasn't the number two in their Heisman ranking for that week in particular, only because of what Jaden Daniels did. Um, but it's probably Bo Nix's to lose or Michael Penix's to lose at this point. Um, but I mean, DG could end up being a finalist. I wouldn't put that past him. Yeah. I mean, obviously you go, go play great and put up a bunch of numbers that he had a touchdown performance. He's got to be somewhere around the conversation after this past week. Daniels though, by the way, first player in FBS history to throw for at least 350 yards and run for at least 200. So yeah, I mean, obviously he had a gigantic day versus Florida. I would probably lean toward Bo Nix right now, just because it it looks like, feels like he's going to have a chance to, you know, get them maybe to the college football playoff or a Pac-12 championship, uh, you know, situation. So that's this type of award. It's a lot of times, typically, not that we haven't seen it with RG3 here or there, right? Some players uh, in singular seasons where, you know, they weren't on the quote-unquote best team. But a lot of times it's the quarterback that's putting up the biggest numbers for one of the nation's best teams. I could see it becoming a whoever shows out in the Pac-12 championship, if it's Oregon versus Washington, whichever team wins and whichever quarterback plays the best in that game could end up becoming the Heisman winner. Totally agree. I I can see that too. No doubt. A few other things to touch on. This is a fun little USC. Well, let's, let's look at what Mutt had to say about two early tickets to the big 12 championship. If the Sooners aren't in it, I'm still going, but wearing Michigan gear with binoculars, walkie talkies and a notepad please do and if you do please make sure you send a picture of it and we will throw it on our social media stuff we'll throw it on our youtube we would love to share that um but please yeah that that would be awesome yeah no that's that's fantastic uh halloween came uh, a couple months too late unfortunately yeah uh and then you know chicken had a nice point here that bv has developed grinch's players better than grinch could I mean, we're seeing, you know, guys like Jordan Kelly and Isaiah Coe and, you know, Danny Stutzman and, you know, uh, Woody Washington and Billy Bowman at times. You're, you're starting to see these guys that were Alex Grinch recruits really starting to become big time contributors for the Sooners. John, uh, are you willing to confirm that you started the SEC chant? I wasn't at the game. I was at my I was in my living room, but I did very much chuckle at the sec chant i very much enjoyed it my wife was like why are they why are they chanting sec i'm like well they're kind of trolling the big 12 and big 12 officiating right now so yeah i always enjoy a good troll job i've i've learned over the last few years hosting this show and and running sooner's wire that i had to become a little bit more um petty in my college football fandom and and just the way i i watch college football because as former nfl guy nfl analyst it's all very like strict serious you just observe and objective analysis but then i realized like college football is a totally different game like as a fan as an analyst i mean from the the paul fine bombs to the josh pates to pat mcafee everybody is going to be petty and trolling and 
but that's just what college football is all about. And it's a lot of fun, but no, I did not start the sec chant, but I'm here for it. Not, not to pour it on, uh, on rockstar here, but, uh, why did my Trojans, they, he's talking to USC Trojans, spend a ton of money on a coach with zero natties while OU gets a coach with three for cheap? I mean, you know, Lincoln Riley did a lot of good things while at Oklahoma, but could never do enough to put them over the top. Brent Venables had never been a, a head coach, and that's part of why Oklahoma was able to get him a little bit cheaper. And I, I don't imagine if they have the success that, we expect them to have that he'll stay very cheap for very long. No, no, he won't in, in Oklahoma. I mean, that's, that's not, not going to be a problem. They're going to pay uh, Venables if he's successful. Yeah. He, he's, he's going to earn top dollar and Oklahoma's going to match everything for Lincoln Riley. I mean, first of all, there's too big of a price tag. I'm sure attached in terms of the buyout for him to be a legitimate candidate at A&M. And I don't think he'd be the first candidate they would look at. That'd so a terrible fit too. I, I believe. Okay, so like, let's toss that out, right? And and I say that to get to this point. USC appears stuck for the moment with Lincoln Riley. They've they've made the decision. They shelled out all this money, and now you're a four loss team with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Is this the moment where Lincoln Riley does any sort of legitimate self introspection and says, "I've got to take defense seriously. I have to change the way we approach things." Or is this now the moment where Lincoln Riley just winds up being somebody that got spoon fed something great at OU and then went to USC and it was too big, uh, too much. And he kind of, for lack of a nice way to say it goes up in flames. He needs to find his Brent Venables, you know, the, the guy that Dabo Swinney found that could come in and transform his defense and make it a national championship caliber defense. He needs to find that guy. And until he finds that guy, USC is just going to be, I mean, they're going to be trying to outscore everybody and that's not going to work. Caleb Williams is going to the NFL unless you somehow get Jalen Daniels to come over to USC and you're, are somehow able to miraculously heal his back. You're, you're going to struggle. And listen, I believe that Malachi Nelson is a good quarterback, and I think he's going to do some really good things in college football. But is he ready for the Big Ten? Is he ready to play Iowa's defense? Is he ready to play Michigan? I don't know what their schedule looks like, but is he going to be ready for that? I don't know. I don't think so because we haven't seen him play. But it's going to be a tough road. Does he even, does Lincoln Riley even stick around for USC's move to the Big Ten? I think that's as much of a question as anything. I mean, it's very reasonable that he's gone and off somewhere else because, and not to another college job, but to potentially to an NFL job because he's just done with recruiting. He's done trying to figure out how to, to get a defense going because he can't recruit defense. No, he's going to go to the NFL where there's a salary cap and he's going to have a better opportunity to, to field a reasonable defense. If, if he's still a hot enough commodity that, uh, you know, the next level folks, folks at the next level say we, we want him, you know, I don't think I, he, is. He, he might not be, uh, I would like to address this. Why is Josh put in a corner? Anybody? <laughs> I am not in timeout. No, there is a, this is my microphone right, uh, right to the side of me here, Kim. And this is just the comfortable spot for me to broadcast. It leaves more room in here in the office. So I don't have a good explanation. It's not timeout of why I'm in the corner, but, uh, 
I don't know. In the backdrop's nice. Everybody, stop being so hypercritical of the setup here. I have That's to right. defend it. And I gotta, I gotta address Chicken from earlier. He was talking about I had a booger or something. That's just a shadow in my nose over here. That's that's not a booger. Come on, y'all, quit it. Seriously, it's it's getting uh it's getting a little wild in the chat. Have y'all been of- Have y'all been partaking this evening on this fine Monday evening? Hey, so be it. If if that's the case, let's let's zip through these final ones because yeah. we do have some more uh, comments here. Stephen uh, points out McCade's interview after practice said he wasn't uh, ejected for the first half of BYU. So that yeah, that's important. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? Not trying to be, I, go I ahead. On that note, I thought it was really interesting. Like guys like Jacob Sexton and uh, Caden Green were named captains for this week. Pretty awesome. Like you get a true freshman and then a guy that just got his first start are now going to be captains for BYU. I, I don't know what that says about, you know, Jet asks, and we may get to that a little bit here in a second, but Jet asks, uh, you know, we'll come back to this comment from Midnight Wolf in a second, but Jet asks if Guyton was going to be available with Jacob Sexton being named a captain for this week. I would say Guyton's probably questionable and maybe day to day, but expect to see a lot of Jacob Sexton. Um, but then, yeah, let's get back to this Midnight Wolf uh, comment. When Levy is aggressive, OU shines. When he is conservative, which has been way more uh, the second half, OU lays eggs. I don't get why Levy is this way. And it's it's my biggest criticism and my biggest reason why I don't necessarily think he'll be at Oklahoma forever unless he's willing to change his mindset and change his offensive worldview brent venables is an aggressive coach you see it on the sideline i get to go through pictures of ou games after every game and there's always one where it looks like brent venables is literally about to kill somebody he just has this this look of anger on his face that if you cross him he's coming to get you now he'd never do that because he's just a good dude but he gets intense he gets fired up i just don't find jeff levy to have that same mentality that same attitude but maybe this past week and the loss to Oklahoma State and Bedlam, maybe there was a bit of a come to Jesus meeting and Jeff Levy's going to access that part of him that matches Brent Venable's intensity and Brent Venable's aggressiveness. And if that's the case and we get to see that from Jeff Levy, man, this thing is about to take off. So this I feel oh, is that was the quote. Sorry. No, no. And that's OK. They're both good. And I was I was going to actually put both up there. But uh, this, I think, is a longer discussion maybe for our next episode. Midnight Wolf. I promise I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but this this week made me more mad than happy that we dominated West Virginia. And then the teams OU lost to got clobbered, like Oklahoma should be 10-0. So, and we're living it, right? I mean, it's, a, it's another game week. There's two left to go in the regular season. So there is a little bit uh, to just, as Chicken said, the rear view mirror is exactly 8% of your visibility. Just keep looking through the windshield, keep going forward. So there is like an angle of both here. And I sort of see both sides of it, but I'd like to explore that maybe uh, in greater detail. And then uh, speaking of this on the way out, the big 12 championship game scenarios. Opossum points out. How about them? Okie pokey Cowboys choking against UCF. And I wish I had the guts to have told you last week that this was going to happen. I had a good feeling that it might happen. It sure enough. It it did happen. Not to that degree that I see it happen, but uh, okay. Life for Oklahoma. There's all sorts of weird scenarios out there. Like a million different things could happen that would lead to Oklahoma going to the Big 12 championship. There's tie breaks where they wouldn't go. And again, the the most important thing is just win for Oklahoma. But uh, what do you make of Oklahoma State UCF? 
just crazy. Just absolutely crazy. Now, obviously turnovers had something to do with that, but I mean, Ollie Gordon getting held to 25 yards rushing by UCF, who was, you know, coming into the Oklahoma game even was not a good run defense. And to be able to do what they did to Ollie Gordon was pretty impressive. And it looked like he was more interested in jawing with the fans at times than running the football. Um, but yeah, they, they did not look good. They did not look prepared. And I mean, that a lot of that probably comes down to Mike Gundy. They might've felt pretty high on themselves, pretty full of themselves. I think Oklahoma got a little bit full on themselves after the Texas win. I, I want to say maybe probably Oklahoma state felt the same way after their win over Oklahoma and Bedlam. Just since uh, I love KC fan because go chiefs, of course, on the way out the door, have they already talked about Jimbo? W we did any final remarks or a quick rehash that we can share for KC fan. I mean, in short, Jimbo, I mean, this was so long overdue. It clearly wasn't working. They owe him so much cash. The The way that they're going to pay the buyouts, sort of crazy. It's, uh, and I'm rounding up here a little bit, like 20 million will come from donors and then the rest will just get taken out of the athletic revenue uh, earnings over the next however many years. So I, I guess when you earn that much, it opens up the opportunity to, you know, make these kind of decisions where you move on from someone. But uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what A&M, which direction they want to go here. I would imagine they'll try home run higher. And our take on it, Casey fan, was this could open the door maybe on the recruiting side for OU. We'll see. I would imagine uh, somebody from A&M, Arkansas, one of these schools is going to wind up at OU. And, and probably A&M just because, again, these were a lot of recruiting battles that the Sooners had legitimate inroads on. And, uh, you know, final reason or another, it went A&M's direction. So interesting. Yeah, the, the Jimbo thing is going to be a, a cautionary tale to I think a lot of big money programs because, sure, you have the money to throw it at whatever big name coach you want to, but unless you do something productive and positive, then that money is just wasted, man. Like they had Kevin Sumlin and I mean, he had them playing at really high levels with Johnny Manziel and that wasn't good enough. You know, yeah, they had some down seasons and, and it ultimately wasn't good enough, but Jimbo Fisher, I mean, rarely matched those heights, you know, and it, it makes you almost as a program, I think, we talk about this, this inward looking, this, um, you know, this self-awareness, this, uh, self, uh, discovery and A&M's got to really look at themselves. Like, do we really just want to go throw money at the next big name? Or do we want to find somebody who's going to be a cultural fit with us? That's going to recruit well, that's going to build our program. And are we going to give them the patience and the time to develop this thing? And I think that's what they got to realize is, listen, they're not going to be able to build something overnight. They've got to build something that lasts and they've got to look to continue to, to really strike it rich in Texas. I think as much as you're hearing names like Dan Lanning and, you know, Chris Kleiman and Lance Leipold and uh, you know, all these big name, you know, coaches being thrown out there. I think they'd be better served with a guy like GJ Kinney uh, out of Texas state, you know, former Tulsa quarterback, worked under Gus Malzahn at UCF, uh, but he's from, you know, that South Texas region and has a lot of Texas high school coaching ties. And we saw what Texas state has developed into. And I think he'd be a great fit for them. Uh, now I'm not necessarily wishing goodwill for the Aggies or that they have a lot of success in the future, but I mean, they need to look at something other than 
you know, the, the guy, the big time coach, you know, making a lateral move like the Brian Kelly going from Notre Dame to LSU or Cristobal going to Miami, you know, don't look for the lateral move. Look for a guy that's going to, that that's vested in getting the opportunity to have a big time program under his feet. I love the idea of a Kleiman or a Leipold at A&M with those types of resources and the success that they've already been proven to have at uh, places like K-State and KU. So to me, that's the direction I'm going instead of hot shot, you know, popular Lane Kiffin or this or that. Like that to me is the big mistake. Go get a football coach. Go get a great football coach. And you know what? I say that about Lane, and he's got a proven track record of success. So yeah, Mike Elko uh, from Duke is another name that pops up too. That sure would be a really, really good fit. You know, these guys that aren't flashy, like Jimbo Fisher was was flashy. You know, had he's going to win the press conference. You know, but go find, like you say, go find somebody who's just a good football coach that is going to provide stability and structure and a foundation for your program. And again you know, he's not going to be caught up in the ebbs and flows and, and things like that. He's going to be able to coach up a a recruiting class as opposed to not succeed with that recruiting class. It's a novel concept. Get a good football coach, right? Not, not a flashy name. It's, you know, it's too many ADs and athletic departments and university presidents and board of regents get caught up in. We want to make this big splash sizzle higher and oh, it's going to help with recruiting and this and that. And they forget one key component get a good, successful, proven right. football coach, which you could make the argument maybe Jimbo was that. I mean, he was a national championship winning coach, but it was starting to go the other direction, right? When yeah. he was uh, when he was hired away. So I don't know. Fascinating stuff. The carousel yeah. will turn. And I love it because uh, it's a content provided for you and I. Yeah. I saw somebody mention Mac Brown just last thing, Mac Brown to Texas AM. And I don't think he'd make that move, but I would absolutely love it if he made that move uh, because of this, the Texas, Texas A&M pettiness that would transpire because of it. It'd be so much fun, but guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of locked on Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of the show. Subscribe to the show, wherever you get your podcasts, we're free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at locked on Sooners on Facebook, locked on Sooners podcast. We're also on TikTok and on Instagram as well, Locked On Sooners, uh, getting a little bit more active on the social. So go follow us over there as well. For Josh Elmer, I'm John Williams. We'll continue to get you ready for BYU this coming Saturday. Uh, we're going to have Jacob C. Hatch from Locked On BYU on with us to discuss the game. But until next time, Boomer Sooner.